so good to see you all today. <clears throat> if you don't mind, I'm just going to share a few brief thoughts uh, with us today from the scriptures. Thank you for being patient there. My son uh, has pirated my iPad, commandeered it, so we had to get it back where it needed to be there. Uh, you all know that we're in the middle of our Christmas sermon series that we have titled The Gift. Just before I jump in, I want to do something special, if you don't mind. Um, we have a very special couple in our church that they've been here for so many years. And I just want to say a quick bless you to them because Larry Elliott just let me know that today, he and his wife, Barbara, she's not able to be here today, but uh, him and her are celebrating 51 years of marriage today. Come on, guys, 50 years? We absolutely love Larry and Barbara, and he's always such a good sport uh, to me and with me, and his wife has such a gentle, kind spirit, and y'all know that Larry likes to... Um, Pray, play practical jokes on me from time to time. And so don't be distracted in the sermon. He's doing it with me and for me. But you notice this man right here has got some really cool glasses that he is wearing today to celebrate he and his wife. But in all seriousness, Larry, I want to say this to you that we honor and we celebrate, we celebrate your commitment to you and your wife and to stay in the course through 51 years. Larry just said to me on the front uh, here just now, he said, could you imagine being married to me for 51 years? And I said, no, I cannot, and I don't care to try. But Miss Barbara, if you're watching at home, we love you, and we bless you, and we call you a great woman of faith for staying the course with Mr. Elliot for all these years. Isn't it wonderful when you see a marriage play out like that? Okay, a few of you like it, and others don't, that's okay. <clears throat> now, for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to move quickly. We launched this series talking about the gift, and that Jesus, the Son of God, He is God's gift to us, and that when God the Father wanted to begin the process of righting all the wrongs in the world, of all the things He could have done, He chose to give. He gave a gift in His Son. And then last week, we've discussed the mother. And we examined the story of Mary. And we explored how the, there was so much that she had to endure. And yet, in the midst, God kept His promises. And that there is a backside to a blessing. But today, uh, I will have to adapt and make some adjustment just for the sake of time. But today, I want to speak to you about the man. The man. And I want to talk to you about the man that was Jesus, the man that is Jesus. And during the holiday season, so many times we, we focus on the supernatural and the, the miraculous events that took place that saw Christ delivered into the world. And we celebrate the virgin birth that was prophesied in the Old Testament, as we should. But what I tend to suspect is that particularly in our day and age, we get lost in the miraculous and we forget, I think, some amazing golden nuggets, some real treasure that lies within the full scope of the story and that Jesus was God 
made flesh. He was the Word made flesh. He was God incarnate. He was a physical uh, representation of every promise that God had ever made. He was proof positive that God is going to keep His Word. And yet, in our ability to relate, identify, and connect to this amazing story is not just that He was God, but it's that He was also a man. And so if I may, in John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing could have been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and darkness cannot Comprehend it. If you don't mind, I'd like to pray just briefly. I know we've prayed very much today, but I'd like to pray just once more. Lord, I ask that you use me today to teach and preach. Lord, I ask that you cause this word to come alive within us all today. Holy Spirit, I ask you give me the words. Help me to be clear and accurate. And Lord, we promise you the glory, the credit. And the benefit, Lord, I put my trust in you and your word that you will do and it will do what it has always done. And that it will change our hearts and our lives for the better. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen and amen. And so we open with John 1 to understand this, that Jesus was in fact God. He is the word of God made flesh. But if I may, I'd like to jump over to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 that says this. This is speaking of Jesus. That it was fitting or it was proper and appropriate for Jesus. For whom all things and by whom all things were or are. In bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation or our salvation perfect through sufferings. And so I want to focus on that phrase right at the end of that sentence that says that he was made perfect through sufferings. And so Jesus, God, he became a man and he lived on this earth as us, for us. And then he died for us. But he was made perfect, or I want to borrow a word and insert a word there that says he was processed through suffering. And so I'm going to say something right off the bat to get your attention. Uh, we had the ushers search you for rocks this morning to make sure you didn't throw any of them at me prematurely. So I'm going to say what I'm about to say, but now just hear me out before you get upset. When Jesus died for us, he was not innocent. Okay, I just make sure nobody threw a rock. That was just a precautionary duck. What am I saying? Well, to understand what I just said, we want to examine closely the definition of the word innocent. Because innocent in the English language has two different meanings. One definition of the word innocent means not guilty. How many of you know that when Jesus hung on the cross, he was not guilty? of the sin that he had to take on. The, he was not the one who should have been paying the penalty or the price of sin. That should have been me. That should have been you on the cross. He was not guilty. And you're sitting there saying, but I thought you just said he was not innocent. Well, the other meaning of the word innocent means not having been exposed 
to evil, not having been exposed to the wrong things of life. And so in this definition of the word innocent, we usually think of a child. And so we know as adults, we've seen, we've engaged in, and even when we chose right, we were exposed to the wickedness of mankind. We've been exposed to the evil of the world. We understand that the world can be dangerous and that there are bad things in the world because we're not innocent. But a child is innocent. They don't know. They've not seen brutality. They've not seen abuse. They've not seen the wickedness that men can bring into the world. And so Jesus was not guilty, but he was not innocent in that he was not exposed to the evil of the world. I would submit to you this, that it was because he was exposed to the wickedness of men that makes his story and his journey as a man so significant to us. And so I want to submit an idea to you that when Jesus was born, he wasn't ready to be our Savior. When Jesus was an infant, an infant child is not capable or uh, it is not within their realm of ability to comprehend or understand what a Messiah or a Savior must be. Why? Because it's a baby. He was a baby. And so I want to endeavor to impress upon you some things that he was confronted with the evils of the world, but he made a decision to go the right way. And so he learned obedience from what he suffered. And so that means he was confronted with the choice or the option to do evil, but he didn't. I had one little bit of help all the way back there in the back. He, he was confronted with the same choices, the same dilemmas, the same temptations as us. But what separated him from the pact was that when he was confronted, he chose the right way. He chose the way of his father and that process of choosing the right way again and again he learned obedience he learned the ways of his father and so Jesus the Messiah he had to be processed in fact at one point the Holy Spirit the scripture says explicitly that it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And so why would the Holy Spirit do this? So that Jesus would have an opportunity to make the same definitive choices that you and I have to make about who am I and how am I going to live. And so I need to submit something to some of us in this room. Jesus is relatable. It is good for us to follow him, not because he glows in the dark, but because he is one of us. He understands our dilemma. He understands our challenges. When we celebrate Christmas, we're not just celebrating God coming to the earth. We're celebrating God becoming one of us. That went straight to the back wall. There was like three people who just picked up on what I said. God became one of us. And in doing so, he's blazing a trail for what it means and what it looks like to be a real and true human being. He is restoring to us the definition and the example of what it should look like to be a human being. And so God saw that it was good for him to be tested 
by the enemy. And so some of us, we are tested by the enemy. And we tend to, uh, we really do this when we see someone else being tested. We like to point our finger and be like, well, they must have done something wrong to bring that difficulty into their life. I hope that you didn't use that, me- that metric when you were measuring Jesus because you would have looked at Jesus being tempted in the wilderness and said, well, he must have done something wrong to have to square off with the enemy toe to toe and face to face. But the scripture says that it was God who led him there. And so if we understand why God led Jesus to the wilderness, then we may understand why sometimes we have to face the tests and trials that we we have to face. And so I want to submit this very brief point to you. In that sometimes God tests us, sometimes God processes us, sometimes God lets us face a difficult time, a difficult person, and a difficult decision, not because he doesn't know how we will respond, he lets us face the test so now I will know how I will respond when I have to face the test. And so I would say this, the person who left most encouraged from Jesus and Satan squaring off in the desert was Jesus because now he had the confidence to go into his ministry knowing, I know who I am. I know who my father is. I know what his word says. And when the enemy tried to tempt me with all the nations and kingdoms of the world, I chose my father. I am confident confident that I can go and be the Savior and Messiah that my Father is asking me to be. I need to let somebody know today that your trials didn't count for nothing. Your tests, they have meant something. I want to encourage you, you are still here. You are still trucking. You are still moving. You're still living, and you are still breathing. We have a Master and a Savior who he understands the power of temptation. He understands the difficulty of tests and trials. And so I want to encourage you, when you analyze and measure your past, don't always beat yourself up and say, I wished I would have, or I should have done this and that. Maybe you should look back and say, I did fail. My marriage did crumble. I did my business just it straight ran out of money. I mismanaged that. I should have done more here. I messed up my kids. But here's what I want to say to you at the end of it, here's what you know. That even when I mess up, I know where to run. I wanted to give up and I wanted to quit. That's true, but the end was you knew where to run. Even in failure, you can still make a right decision about where to run. Hebrews chapter 2 and 11 says this. Excuse me, I've already said that. I'm going to keep moving. And so I want to say this, that it is Jesus who sanctifies us. And it's by following his example that we come to know him. And Hebrews 2 says that he's not ashamed to call us brothers when we follow and live the example that he led us. And so I want to say this to you, that it's Jesus who makes you holy. It's following Jesus that makes you holy. And as you strive to choose right, as you endeavor to follow him and his example, he looks down on you and I, and he's not ashamed to call you brother. He's not ashamed to call you brother. Hebrews 2 and 12 says this. This is Jesus speaking. I will declare your name to my brethren 
in the midst of the assembly, and I will sing praise to you. And so the man Jesus, in his humanity, Jesus worships the Father. But in his divinity, he is God. And so he, God is giving us an example of how we should live and how we should choose. I need to remind somebody today that when you choose to open your mouth and worship him, you're following in Jesus' example. And Jesus also said, this is quoting Hebrews chapter 2, I will put my trust in him. Even Jesus had to put his trust in the Father. And then again it says, here I am and the children whom God has given me. I need to remind you of something today, church, that Jesus came as a man and as a human for this purpose. He came to extend, to extend and to expand God's family. God wants to be with us so much so that he was willing to become one of us so that we could be connected again as family. And so we have a father God who is in heaven and you have an older brother whose name is, whose name is Jesus. He is God and man. Hebrews 2 and 14 says, Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, in other words, or they share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power, who had the power of death. That is the devil. And so Jesus came as a man. He had to take on our flesh and blood so that he could overcome the enemy and take back from Satan the power of death. I need to remind somebody today that in the garden, Adam had all authority. He made a bad choice. And he gave that authority over to the enemy. And the enemy has wreaked havoc with it. But Jesus came as a man. And there's a title that many theologians give him. They call Jesus the last Adam. Because Jesus came to correct what Adam screwed up. And Adam made a bad decision, but Jesus came and said, I'll make the right decision, and I will fix humanity, and I will overcome humanity's primary enemy, and that is death. I need to remind you today that a man named Jesus has overcome death, hell, and the grave. He has come to take back the authority from the enemy over us. Hebrews 2 and 15 says, He came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I need to remind you that Jesus came as a man to set us free from the slavery that is fear. I need to tell you today that you have no reason to be afraid of death because He is Lord over death. That means He decides what happens after you die. Now, for the young believers in the room, full of vim and vigor, we dare not imagine what the end of our life may hold. But I know that there are some saints who are veterans, and they know there's not as much runway as there once was, and that the sunset of their years is rapidly approaching. Their twilight years are upon them. And if I may so humbly, without knowing the feelings that must come. I want to encourage my veteran saints that as you know that the, maybe the next season of, of life, there's only so many years. And you may be looking saying, I know that my time to cross over may be near. 
The next leg may be my last one. Not because of evil or wickedness, but the number of man's years. I want to remind you and lovingly and humbly encourage you that you can go boldly into the transition of the flesh because Jesus has gone before you and he waits on the other side. He is just and he is righteous and he will deal with you in mercy and in tenderness. And so go boldly into the next season knowing that there's a master who awaits you and you will live with him forever. Can I get somebody to give me some help me praise the Lord that we need not fear death? Hebrews 2, 16 and 18 says, For indeed he did not give aid to angels. In other words, Jesus didn't come to minister to angels or spiritual beings, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make an appropriation for the sins of people. For in that he himself has suffered, and he was tempted that he is able to aid those are tempted. And so I've endeavored to come very quickly to this point here that Jesus the man accomplished so many things. He came to do these magnificent, grandiose objectives. But I think the one that has the most impact on a day-to-day basis is that he came and he lived in the flesh suit that you and I live in. And he has experienced all the same temptation that we have experienced. And I heard a wise man once explain temptation to me like this. He said, so we know about the power of wind in Oklahoma, don't we? Especially when a big storm is coming, when a tornado is coming and the, the, these massive um, weather systems are colliding and beginning to circle, what happens? It'll be still one minute. And then all of a sudden, here comes the wind. And we've seen the weather guys out there trying to report on the thing, and they're having to lean in to the weather. This is how temptation works. You feel it the strongest when you're standing up to it. Let me try that over here. You feel it the strongest when you're standing up to it. When you give in to temptation, the pressure of it goes away. So if you get in a, if you get in a culvert on the side of the road, you don't feel the wind. But when you're standing up to it, you feel it. Some of you say, this is so hard. Why am I battling? Why am I fighting the way I'm fighting? Because you're standing up to it. And no one has ever stood up to it better than him. And so he knows the true weight and power of temptation stronger than any other man that has ever lived. And so as you battle and as you grapple, you need to know that your older brother, your Savior and your Master... He's gone before you, and he knows how hard it can be. Does that feel all right? Now, if I may, I want to leave you today with a sensation that the Jesus that we serve, he, didn't, he was not born to his mother glowing in the dark. He came out covered in mucus and in blood with an umbilical cord that had to be cut, just like the rest of us. He is one of us. He is a human man that we can relate to and identify with. And so let me tell you a little bit about what Jesus 
experienced. He was born into a family. He understands what family life is like. And so if we can, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit sanctify our imagination a little bit. We don't have a ton of direct quotes of what his life was like, but we do know very, very well what the culture was like that he grew up in. And so he spent nine months in his mother's womb, just like you did. He experienced life in the womb, although he wouldn't have remembered it. And I want to submit to you just a redemptive rabbit trail here, that what happened, oh, this, because the scripture tells us that when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to see her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist leaped in the womb with excitement. And so even babies in the womb feel something. I'm not going, I'm going to spare y'all where that road leads then we'll save that for another day. But the scripture says that John the Baptist, he felt that he was near the Messiah and that little baby in the womb started kicking and moving because Jesus was alive in the womb. He was not a sparkle or a piece of unicorn pixie dust. He was a baby in the womb. He had to endure with his mother an overland journey to Bethlehem. He came out bloody with an umbilical cord and after they cleaned him up just like they did you and me, they laid him in a manger or a feeding trough with hay in it for him, for mama and daddy to get a rest and eventually they would have put baby Jesus with his mama and Jesus experienced the comfort of a mother's heartbeat as he laid on her breast and there was a time eventually where Joseph his natural father would have held him. And don't you know that would have been a little different? Joseph's hands would have been extremely rough and tough and muscular forearms. And he would have felt uh, most likely a hairy forearm. And I bet Joseph probably smelled of agriculture and sweat and woodworking. But don't you know, he would have, Jesus would have experienced the same comfort of a father that many of us have been blessed to experience the strength and stability that a father exudes. Jesus would have cried in the middle of the night. He would have had dirty diapers. And after eight days, they had to take him to the temple to be circumcised. Look at your neighbor and say, ouch, I'm glad I don't remember that. He was the firstborn, he was the firstborn child to his parents. And so just like any firstborn child, he would have had, he would have had to endure his parents' learning curve of caring for a child. I bet Joseph and Mary had some sleepless nights as the Messiah kept them awake. And eventually he would have learned to babble and he would have said, Abba, Abba. Because why? Your Savior, the God that we worship. He is also a man. Eventually, he would have learned to, to walk and stumble, and he'd have bumped his knees and scraped his elbows, and he was learning and growing. Isaiah 7 and 14 says this, This is a sign for Israel that a virgin will give birth, and when he's old enough to eat curds and honey, he will be able to choose right from wrong. Eating curds and honey was how they weaned a child at the toddler phase off of their mother's breast. And so as a toddler, he had the ability and the capability to choose right from wrong. I won't get into parenting techniques, but sometimes I look back at mine when they were three and I went, I don't know. Uh, that they had a good sense of right and wrong quite yet. They needed me to help teach them because at three, man, them things were little Texas tornadoes on a string. <clears throat> And so here's some other things we can understand about the life of our God. Is that Jesus would have played with toys. And don't you know that Joseph the carpenter would have fashioned for him toy hammers or wooden horses to play with. And 
Jesus had a family. He understood family situations. And I want to submit to you some ideas here that eventually they would have had to tell Jesus that Joseph was not his true biological father. The Messiah of the world understands what it's like to have a stepfather. The man who helped raise the Messiah knows what it's like to love and train a child that's not your flesh and blood. Our God knows. He understands the situations of our life. Y'all know the the Jews, the Hebrews celebrated Shabbat every Friday night. And so Jesus would have experienced family suppers. The excitement of different families joining together, just like we do in the holidays. And he would have watched his mother prepare the meal. And then he would have watched his father pray, as was the custom of the Jewish men. Pray and cry out, Lord, we are oppressed by the Romans. We're downtrodden and we are your people. Send us a Messiah. I wonder what a young Jesus would have felt as he watched his father cry and pray, knowing that it was his father, Joseph, that introduced him to the idea that there was a God. And that God was going to send a Messiah. Jesus had to learn scripture just like we all did. We know at around age five it was the custom. Every Jewish boy began going to school to learn the Old Testament, the scriptures. And so Jesus had to learn them the same way the rest of the boys did. He was particularly good at this and we have a record and story of that. Jesus had brothers and sisters. And so he understands that sometimes having siblings is great. And sometimes it's not so great. Can I get an amen anywhere in this sanctuary if you've ever had a brother or a sister? Now, if they're sitting there beside you, you just say, it was so great, amen, God bless. And then you can look at the person on the other side and go, (laughs) Jesus understood what it was like to be treated as a minority. He was a Jewish man from a small town ruled by people who were not from there. I'm just going to go a bit further. He was a man who had dark skin, but he was ruled by Romans from Italy who maybe had a little lighter skin tone. He understood what that would have felt like. He would have understood the feeling and the dilemma of that my Hebrew people are not treated as well as high well-to-do Roman citizens in my own country. I'm going to save that for another day, but that's in the Scripture, so you can take that home and chew on it if you want to. I'm just saying that our Master understands the dilemmas of our world. I can't help but wonder that as was the custom as they traveled from from Nazareth to Jerusalem annually, if coming into Jerusalem, Jesus wouldn't have seen the Romans crucifying criminals and saying, Dad, what is that? What are they doing And Joseph would have had had to explain to a young Jesus, this is how the Romans deal with things. This is how the Romans show power. This is how the Romans deal justice. That is some good preaching right there. And so as he traveled across the countryside, they would have stayed and interacted with farmers. And he would have seen firsthand a sower going out to sow. Because he taught from his life experiences He had people that they interacted with and impacted his life, just like 
me and you, and I won't take uh, much time here, but we know the story in Luke chapter 2 where Jesus goes missing for three days. And they finally find him in the synagogue the debating the scriptures with the teachers. And everyone kind of marveled at how amazing and how brilliant this 12-year-old Jesus was. But then I want to come to right here. We're just after that passage in Luke chapter 2. Jesus was initiated into adulthood. And so at age 12, Hebrew boys were given a bar mitzvah. And that was their initiation into adulthood. I just want to point out that that we don't have a set initiation ritual in our culture here in America. But um, he had one. He was initiated into adulthood where he had to quote the Shema and teach and recite the scriptures. And so he would begin at this time going to work with his father every day. And he became an apprentice in a trade. He knows what it means to work. And I've been to Nazareth, and I've seen the tools that they used for woodworking during the time that Jesus was alive. And just let me tell you, it's not for the faint of heart. Carpentry with modern tools is still a, can be a very difficult, hard task. But Jesus worked hard. So he would have had to go out with his father and learn which trees are which, which trees were good for what type of work. And so I just find it so amazing and poetic that the one who created the world still had to be taught about his creation. His divinity created the world. His humanity had to learn about the world the same way you and I did. And I just find, could you imagine Jesus working with wood as a young apprentice, fashioning a tree into beams or tables or chairs, quoting Isaiah 7, and there will come a day where out of the root of Jesse, there shall stand one who is a banner to his people, and even the Gentiles will seek him. I need to let somebody know that if the Messiah had to be processed, You can bet me and you are going to have to be processed. But Jesus in the carpenter shop, Jesus running an old manual planer, Jesus running a saw. Anybody ever run an old saw by hand? Uh, I just come to tell you that's not for the faint of heart because it's cute the first time. But when you've been doing that all day, sawing and sawing and sawing, that's some processing that is happening right there. You may find yourself in a carpenter shop and you you may be doing menial tasks, but you know God has called you to something bigger. I just want to remind you of what Jesus did. He kept sawing. He kept sawing, quoting Isaiah. He would would build tables and chairs knowing that my Father in heaven will get me to where I need to be. He will do in me what he needs to do. He's making me into the man that he needs me to be. Don't hate small beginnings because if Jesus had to be processed, you and I will certainly have to be processed. Eventually, he would have taken over his father's business, and he mastered the art of carpentry, and then he would have been responsible for the business deals, negotiating prices, quoting a figure, following through on his commitments and contracts. And John chapter 2 says that Jesus knew the ways of men. Nothing will introduce you to human nature faster than doing business with other people. I got any business people in here, they'll just give me a quick wave of testimony and say, you start dealing with money and business, people, they're liars, cheaters, thieves, do all kinds of nastiness. How did Jesus know this? He'd done business with us. 
Couldn't you imagine there come a time where Jesus as a young man had to uh, argue over the quality of the work with someone? We know that uh, Eastern culture, there's always haggling and negotiating about the price and value of something. And so Jesus would have had to negotiate with a nasty customer. And could you imagine his father Joseph from the shadows speaking up and saying, the table is exactly what Jesus promised it would be. This is as good as work as you will find anywhere. Time to pay the bill. Jesus would have had experienced how great it was to have your father back you up. We know this, that he experienced affirmation from his father God three different times that were so amazing. Jesus faced extreme amounts of rejection and misunderstanding in his adult life In just about 36 months, there's 30 times that we have record of that people thought about killing him. That went right to the back wall. Let me just back up and try again. 30 times in 36 months, people thought about killing him. They tried twice. Jesus knows what it means to be misunderstood. He was arrested, betrayed by his friend. He tried to help his hometown, and they couldn't see the potential in him. They couldn't see his heart, and so they received him not. But he forgave and kept going. He was put on our cross. He was put on the cross for all of humanity. And as sin was put on him, he experienced separation from the Father. But the Scripture says that for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. He died as a man. He was raised as a man. And he is still a man and God. And so here's what I want to leave you with today. Every time that you face an obstacle, every time you face a dilemma, a challenge, a choice, a battle, Jesus knows. Here's all I want you to do this week as we go into Christmas. No matter what the situations of your life are, run to Him. The satisfaction of your life is not wrapped in paper under a tree. It's not a number on a statement. The rock and the light of our life is that our God loves us so much, He became one of us. He knows what it means to be one of us. That's why Hebrews says he is a good high priest for us. He is merciful and compassionate. And so if there's some of you this week that you beat yourself up with guilt and shame. Why did I mess up? Why am I not strong enough? I should be doing more. Jesus understands those feelings. Run to him and he will give you the same answer that he chose and gave to himself. That our Father in heaven is more than enough. He never turns his back on us. He's a God of love and goodwill. Does that feel all right this morning? Now, listen, I don't even want you to stand up this morning. You have been an amazing and patient crowd today. Thank you so much for allowing me to give you the word. I took time to do that today because I trust that it will give you strength and nourishment in your spirit, man, going into Christmas. Does that feel okay? So here's what I'd like to do as we dismiss today. Would you just grab the hand of your neighbor beside you? Don't make it weird. Don't make it awkward. If they don't want to hold hands, that's okay. 
If you don't want to touch them or they don't want to touch you, don't make it weird, but you can just hold your hand up and pray for them and we'll trust the Holy Spirit can move three feet. And here's what I'd like for us to do together. I'd like for us to pray together as brothers and sisters in Christ that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us and one of us, that he will in fact be with us this week. I don't know about you, but what will make the holiday special is knowing that my Savior and our older brother is with me every step of the way. Amen? So let's pray together. Lord, I lift up my neighbor to you on my right and my left. And Lord, I speak a blessing over them. I call them blessed in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for them and I pray with them that, Lord, you will be with them this week. Lord, pour out your presence on them. Pour out your favor on them. Pour out your goodness on them. But Lord, most of all, I pray over my neighbor this morning. The peace of God will walk with them. It will sleep with them at night in rest. And it will energize them for this celebratory week. We pray it, Lord, with hearts full of faith. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Now look at your neighbor on your right and say, the peace of God is with you. Now catch the one on the left. The peace of God is with you. Thank you all for your time today. I just want to point out to you, if you hurry, you can beat the Baptist to the lunch buffet. It ain't even 12 o'clock yet. We love you. God bless you. Go and be blessed. Thank you, online family and friends, for joining us today again. You've been, you could have been so many other places, but you chose to spend this morning with us. You know, it's so encouraging to hear that the answer to the challenges in your life are not wrapped in a piece of paper underneath a tree. You might have thought at the beginning of this week, last week, or, or further away, I don't have any, any gifts to place underneath a, tr a tree. This is your gift for this season of, of, of the year. Jesus came to give us freedom. He knows every challenge we, say, we, we, we face because he experienced it. He knows what it is to be without. He knows what it is to be, to be discussed. He knows what it is to be chased after. We want to encourage you this week to think about these things. We serve a Savior who has faced the same challenges you and I face today. Let this be an amazing Christmas, once you have never experienced before. May the Holy Spirit fill your heart with joy and with laughter, no matter your circumstances, just because you know, I serve a Savior who has been in the same places as where I am. The challenges of your life are not unfamiliar to him. And don't forget, the answers of the challenges in your life are not wrapped in a piece of paper. Father, we thank you for our audience. We thank you for our family and our friends who are watching at this time. Father God, we lift them up and we trust you to really manifest yourself, reveal yourself to them, reveal your son to them in this week, Father God, that Christmas will have a different meaning than it might have had in the past, that they will recognize and see Jesus, their Savior, came 
to set them free and give them hope in life. Have a blessed week. Next week, Sunday, we will be online only. If you had plans to come to the building, do not do that because we will not be here. But we're looking forward to see you in your living room, in your car, at work, wherever you are. Join us for the Christmas service. Have a blessed week. And remember, we love you and there's nothing you can do about that. Have a great week.